Thank you, ladies. This is the final week of 2018, and many things, good and bad, have happened this year to us and us as a church family. As a church family, we've had births this year, we've had deaths in the family, we've had laughter, tears, sadness, sickness, joy, heartaches, headaches, many things have happened. It's amazing to recount, if you think back a year from now, um, the end of the year is a time to reflect on where you've been and how much has changed. And some of you might say, wow, I, I can't believe I made it through this year. And somebody might be saying, wow, I'm glad this year's over. I never want to have another year like that one. Somebody might say, what a fantastic year it was, and I can't wait to have another one just like it. One of the best things that has happened in 2018 is that many of you have chosen and stuck with the discipline of reading through the entire Bible following this plan here. How many of you here did that this year with me? Mm -hmm. See? The faithful, the few. Oh, I didn't know Audrey and Stella did it. I know Ruth and Carol did it. Esther did it. There's probably a few. Wonderful. It's a big book. It's not an easy book. Parts of it are dry. Parts of it are repetitive. Uh, but if you've been around the Bible most of your life, my assumption and uh, my conclusion is that you take it for granted. That you forget what it is like to read the Bible for the first time. You forget what it is like to experience the power of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you through the Word and in your time of reflection. You forget what it is like to be confronted with Jesus as a historical figure who walked this earth and who was a, a real man who lived. You forget the story of God's people and how stubborn and foolish they were at times. It's interesting to read the Bible for the first time. The first time I read the Bible, I was 26. I opened it up one night in my house and God spoke to me. And two days later, I was in church. And two months later after that, I was baptized. And then two months later after that, I was married. But I'm not sure if all those things are tied together. Uh, I worked at the Kettering Church in Dayton, Ohio. Kettering Church is a big church with a hospital across the street, big pipe organ. We had five or six pastors, a lot of people in and out of the building. And the people that used to take care of our heating and air conditioning, or HVAC people, we're there once a month or something to do routine maintenance. And one of these guys that came in, 20 to 30 year old guy, noticed some of the pictures on our wall of Jesus. And he, he said to the secretary, I'd like to talk to somebody. After looking at these pictures, I'd like to talk to somebody about this Jesus. So they put him in touch with me. He wasn't a believer. He was a, a rough around the edges, streetwise type guy, if you know what I mean. So he said he wanted to learn something about the Bible. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a Bible. And you read, I decided to have him read the Gospel of John. I want you to just read the Gospel of John from beginning to end. And then at the end, we'll meet and you tell me what you think. Is that a deal? And he said, yeah. So we waited a week or two weeks, whatever it was. And then when we got together, I said, did you read the Gospel of John? And he said, I did. And I said, what'd you think? And he said, i got to clean up his language a little bit here. Help me. He said, that Jesus didn't take any stuff, did he? 
You can substitute words there if you want. You see, that was his impression. He read all 21 chapters of John, and at the end of that, he said, look at that powerful man, Jesus, in there. He didn't take any stuff from anybody, did he? He made a whip, and he drove people out of the temple. He shut down people. He spoke in the face of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He confronted Pilate. He willingly went to a cross. That's the man that my friend... Derek met as he read the Gospel of John. Past few couple years ago, one of my better friends that I've known since fourth grade called me and he said, I would like to read the Bible, but I just want to read it as a piece of literature. I'm not searching. I just want to read the Bible as a piece of literature. Can you recommend anything? So I listened to what he said. He wanted a formal reading Bible and so on. And I sent him one through the Amazons. I know how to manipulate the Amazons. And he said, I wasn't saying you had to buy me a Bible. I was just saying, can you recommend one? I said, no, it's my pleasure. He goes, I'm going to read it from beginning to end. So I go, okay, cool. So I didn't want to bug him. So he'd read. And then every now and then he'd call me and say, I'm on page 250. Like that meant something. I always chuckled. Like, you know, because people, when you read the Bible, you don't say I'm on page 250. You say I'm in Exodus or something. And uh, one time when he was reading, he says, I'm reading about Moses. I go, oh, what do you think about Moses? And he says, that Moses was a stud. He said, he didn't let those people push him around, did he? See, I didn't have to clean up his language there. That Moses was a stud. Moses was a stud. He stood up to all those people confronting him, wanting to go back to Egypt. And the reason I tell you these stories is when you read the Bible with fresh eyes, you see the power of God. Moses was a stud. Jesus didn't take any stuff from anybody. The people of God are strong. They're not weak. We've become weak in America. The people of God. Because we think it means we don't do this. And we stay away from these things that we're over here in our clean little church doing our clean little things while the rest of the world goes to H-E double hockey sticks because we don't know how to interact with them. Find me the place where Jesus did that. Find me the place where Jesus avoided the world to stay clean. Jesus got out there and confronted him. Jesus didn't take any stuff. So I wanted to get a couple testimonies from a couple people that read through the Bible this year to get their opinions, their impressions about it. So I have two good friends coming up. Why don't you both come up and then you can stand here and if one of you collapses, the other one. Can you say hi, Matt, and hi, Melanie? All right, don't mess with my notes. They're going to tell their experience about reading through the Bible in a year. Ladies first. All right, so I just have to tell you that last week I turned 50, and I was raised in the Adventist church, and I thought I knew the Bible really well. And I'd read through the Bible before, but I have to tell you that... (laughs) Each year, as I grew older, because I wasn't reading the Bible every year for 50 years, (laughs) but as I grew older, each year that I would read the Bible, through those eyes, at that age, I would always find something more, or I would understand something more. When I was younger, um, reading about Samson and David and Solomon and Moses and Noah. These guys were like superheroes. They were amazing. I felt like they were probably born with like 
amazing spiritual uh, endowments, and that's what made them so special. But as I grew older and I read, these men were seriously flawed. A lot of them were flawed. They were so flawed. Yet Jesus used them. They were sinners. And as an adult who is very flawed, reading the Bible through, I know that no matter what I've done or what I do in my life, that he can use me no matter what. And I loved how the Bible, before I would read it beginning to end, but we started in Ecclesiastes. And one of the things that Solomon said was, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And this is wisdom. And, and I loved how we, so <laughs> my, I actually lost my uh, original paper um, and I had to get a new one, but I'd written all over it. Little things to remind me uh, as I was reading. And then we would meet on Wednesdays and, and I would, it would trigger me and then I lost that paper and had to start all over again. But it was really enjoyable to read it start to finish but in a very different way. And it, and it blended and it meant a lot. And it really opened my eyes to so much. And, you know, I recommend it. <laughs> and it, it makes you feel like you don't have to be perfect. You don't, you know, sometimes it is hard to get to church. Sometimes it is hard to pick up the Bible or whatever. You don't have to be perfect, but God can still use you. And if you spend time with him, like you would your family or best friends, you'll know him and you will love him and you will love to read more and more. So, okay. That's yeah, a hard show to follow up on. But anyway, there, you know there's a God because um, if they can get Matt Therese to read through this whole thing, there is a God. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot uh, and I'm still learning. I will always learn. But uh, here's our paperwork there. We drew all over ours, too. We checked things off. And, and it's, just a, it's just a miracle uh, that actually just me reading through it. I'm sorry. I'm messing with you, Bob. <laughs> but uh, uh, she's basically discovered everything because we're all flawed. It seemed like a lot of times I kept on reading the Israelites done evil in the sight of the Lord. And we all do. But there's a gracious God that's going to, you know, always be there for us. Um, there's not a whole lot I can say that Melanie hasn't already said. I enjoyed it. I didn't think I'd ever get through it. I'm like, after Genesis, I'm like, oh, the whole thing. 65 more books to go. But we didn't. We didn't. We just kind of went with it. And you learn a lot. A lot of it's like repetitious, uh, like someone forgot so-and-so and forgot so-and-so. But you just you kind of work through it. And the Lord says, I don't want you to understand everything in this book. I said, those are little nits and little, little things that you pull out of it that, you know, you do in your life. He says, and then each time, it's like an owner's manual. And Martin knows this too, because when you're working on a car, he said, how do I do that again? What's the torque specs? You always go back to that owner's manual. So when you have a problem in life, you always go back to your Bible and say, help me, Lord. And he does. So that's bad. Thank you. And don't throw out my sippy cup. I had a cup up here, but somebody threw it out. So if you're doing anything up here, Leave my cup alone. So we come to the end of the readings, and this last week is called Victory Over the Dragon, which is good news. So we end with good news. 
And strangely enough, the first thing in the list, which is what I've always tried to preach on, in fact, if you paid attention, last week was the first week that I did not preach on the text. It's what the text that Miss Jamie read, but I didn't preach on it. I preached out of Luke. So this week I go back to Psalm 75. It's a strange psalm, but it's the first one in this list of victory over the dragon. Psalm 75 was written by Asaph. Asaph was one of the Levites that King David chose as worship leaders. Asaph wrote Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 through 83. Those are all the Psalms of Asaph. And the sons of Asaph was a group mentioned in 2 Chronicles. They were like uh, other people who wanted to be like Asaph. They were skilled poets and singers modeling themselves musically after Asaph. So I'm going to read Psalm 75. Is it okay to read out of my Bible on the last week of the year? Psalm 75, it says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, now see, this is God speaking. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity when the earth totters. This is an English Standard Version. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who will keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. I like that. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. This is a language of judgment, this cup that's ready to be poured out. You'll see it in Revelation too. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So when it speaks rather harshly, it's, that's judgment language. They're not saying we're looking forward to this. They're saying this is the judgment of God when God will be set right. But I declare it forever, verse 9. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. See, you've got Jacob over here in the pew singing to the God of Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. Horn is a sign of strength. But the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So this psalm is a final psalm about the victorious God that we serve. This psalm acknowledges the world in which we live, and it acknowledges the strength and the power of God, and it declares that God is victorious, that judgment is His, and we sing praises for His victory. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Satan and evil is a defeated foe. That's important to know. And it says, For your wondrous works declare that your name is near. Our gratitude towards God has a basis, a foundation. And they gave thanks to God not only for His wondrous works, but for those works proclaimed that God's name, that means His character and His attributes, were near to His people. His name represents all that God is. And so it's talking about end-of-time stuff, what's called eschatology. That's a big, fancy, seminary eschatology. Five-syllable word. Eschatology comes from the word eschaton, which means the end, the last thing. So eschatology is a study of the last things of earth. It could be the last events. It could be um, the judgment, death, 
resurrection, but, but eschatology is not about matching up bad things that happen on the earth, like tsunamis and earthquakes, to texts. That's not eschatology. Eschatology is not about scaring people with the roar of apocalyptic creatures or creating conspiracies or attacking other denominations. That's not what eschatology is about. Eschatology. Seventh-day Adventist eschatology is about victory. His victory, not ours. Jesus and His victory must stand at the center of our eschatology. Can I get an amen? That's why it says in Revelation 12, which was also part of today's reading, Now is come salvation and strength, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. So your duty and my duty is to announce the victory of Christ and the defeat of the enemy. As God said to Moses in Exodus 14 when they were getting ready to cross the Red Sea, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He is God all by Himself. He is big enough. He is strong enough to protect and to guide His church. So rather than point fingers at each other, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than point fingers at each other, why not turn our eyes upon Jesus? Why not look full in His wondrous face? And let the things of this earth not drag us down, but lift us up towards Christ. With everything that you see on this earth that is bad or shameful, or makes you sad, or makes you cry, or is hurtful. All of those things should, should call you to get involved in this earth and also remind you that your salvation is near in Christ. And I will say, as a pastor, I've been pastoring now almost 30 years, depending on when you start counting. As a pastor for almost 30 years, I find that the more I interact with the church, with the people of the church, the more I see that it is far from perfect. And the reason I know that is because I look in the mirror and I see myself with, as some people say, feet of clay. I like that expression. You see, leaders are flesh and blood, just like you are as well. And I learned, as I've been in the church for over 30 years, but as I've been pastoring for almost 30 years, I learned we each have our own way of seeing salvation, of understanding salvation, of understanding how to make sense of this world. Like people will look at the same text and some will say, well, I think it means this. And other people will say, well, I think it means that. And yet it's the same text. It's because you're filtering it through your life, through your character and your understanding. And sometimes we change it and bend it a little bit so it says what we want it to say or allows us to continue doing what we're doing. Well, I don't think it means that. How could it possibly mean that? I think Jesus wants me to be happy. But we do what we want to do and we say, well, Jesus wants me to be happy. You see, that's Bending the text a little bit. We're all kind of spiritual gymnastics, you know. At the Summer Olympics, you know how they do gymnastics. And they give them a 10 or a 9.6. 
Many of us are spiritual gymnastics earning 10.0s. Ta-da! Look what I just did with the Bible. I twisted it to say what I I wanted it to say. But I also learned not only that we are spiritual gymnastics and that we turn things sometimes to make it say what we want, but I also learned that God is faithful. And if we follow Him in His Word, He will always lead us. So that is why one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Therefore, as Psalm 75 says, we declare your wondrous works. Let your life reflect the Spirit of God changing you, making you the man or the woman or the boy or girl that He wants you to be. I hope that at the end of 2019, we are not all sitting here exactly as we were now at the end of 2018. I hope some of us have developed stronger characters or were more disciplined or were kinder or more loving or were speaking less and listening more or speaking kind words or gossiping less or saying nice things to people instead of saying mean things to people or were more generous with our time and our money or our hands and our feet and smiling more and frowning less. This is what will fill us for 2019 and for the rest of our lives. If we look at Him, And we praise Him. I'm going to leave you with Psalm 150. You know, there's 150 Psalms. Here's the very last one, and it says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sounds. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Come on now, preacher. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. Boy, that doesn't sound like a very quiet church. Have I been missing something? Mm. Me doth think I protest too much. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. I want to share something with you before, we, before I close in prayer. Many times in the end of the year we make New Year's resolutions, which is really just giving yourself permission by January 2 or 3 to give up on it and say, well, I'll try again. So here's something I want you to think about. See if you can make goals for yourself for just the month of January. And if you have to take it smaller than that, then take the first week in January and then make them again. Could I have my slide. Here's what I want you to think about. Good health. Being all Christ wants you to be. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. One of the things that I love about the Adventist message is that God has made us mind, body, and spirit. And we should take care of all three, mind, body, and spirit. So here's what I I would like you to think about. Create for yourself, well, for 2019, but take it for January, Create for yourself a spiritual goal. Maybe it could be to read uh, one chapter of the Bible a day. Maybe it could be to open your Bible once a day and read one verse. Maybe it could be to read a devotional book. Maybe it could be to pray. Maybe it could be um, to sit silently for 10 minutes, something. Find for yourself one spiritual goal. Mine is going to be to read a chapter of the New Testament 
every day. There's only 260, so somewhere around September or so. I'm free for the rest of the year. Anyway, uh, once some people read five psalms and one chapter of Proverbs a day because that's, there's, that's about a month's worth. If you read five psalms and one chapter of Proverbs at the end of the month because there's 31 Proverbs and 150 psalms, you can do that in a month. So set a spiritual goal for yourself. Set a physical goal for yourself. Maybe it's to stop eating late at night. Maybe it's to give up sugar. Maybe it's to quit smoking. Maybe it is to exercise, to join a gym. And not only join a gym, but go to it as well. Because, you know, a lot of people spend their money at the gym. Sort of like church. And then also relationship goal. That, that could be you and your uh, husband or wife or your children or a coworker. Maybe it means to put down the phone at dinner time. Maybe it means to get off of Facebook so much. And I'm looking at myself as I say that. Get off of, hey, hey. So I can point at you, but i got three fingers pointing back at me. Maybe it means to turn off the TV. Find some sort of relationship goal that you can set for yourself. So this is, we're going for the month of January. If you need to set a small goal, then these are for January 1. Then choose those same goals January 2, and so on. Set three goals. Spiritual, physical, relationship. How many willing to contemplate this and try it? And at some point, if you feel like it, share your goals with me. I'd love to hear them, unless they're too personal or private. That's fine, too. God bless you. I want everybody home New Year's Eve by 9 o'clock. I'm calling each and every one of you at 9.05. If I see anybody buying anything besides Martinelli's or sparkling Welch's, you're in trouble. I'm going to go to every Publix, every alcohol, liquor store. I don't know where they are now, but I'm going to find out. I will track you down if anybody is not home in bed by nine. I'll give you a little 10 to go to bed, but I need you home at 5 after 9. God bless. Huh? If you're at work, sleep on the job. God bless you. This has been a great year for us, for me and my wife. There's, there's pain and sorrow, but God is good. And he has seen us through. And I know he wants to do great things for you through your pain. Through anything that comes your way in 2019, may God be glorified. Set some goals. Let's talk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to do church together. Thank you that you made us mind, body, and spirit. You breathe into us life and you say, now live. Live for me as a temple of God. Thank you that you are victorious, that victory is assured, that Jesus is coming someday. And until that day, may we work in the vineyard with a smile on our face and our hands full of work. And may we be glorifying your name each and every step of the way, I pray. Amen.